Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. It is so good to be with you, and there's many familiar faces here. I love, of course, Pastor Dave and Joy Belleville and Kenny Riley whenever he's here, and I I look forward to getting to know some of you. Um, I'm going to be speaking to you about education, but it's hopefully not going to be boring because I believe all of us need to be educated like Christ, and that's what we're going to be doing today. But before we get started, will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather here this morning. We love you. We ask that you would be glorified in and through us. And as we open up your word, Lord, we want you to be glorified and evident in what I say and what we learn. And we commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. The year was 1987. And a new movie was just released about a murder. It was a murder of a young lady in Milpitas, California. And I happened to live in Northern California at the time. And a group of friends decided that wouldn't it be fun if we went and found the actual location where this girl's body was found. I know, morbid, but we were just out of high school. We were goofy. And we thought, okay, let's go do this. And there was about 10 or 12 of us. The problem is, in San Jose, California, where we were leaving from, walking up the hill was a very long distance. And about halfway through, walking about an hour into our journey, pitch black at night, I start thinking, this is goofy. We, we need to stop this. Plus, my younger sister is with me. And I said, so, fellas, we're going to split off from you. I'm going to go back, and you guys could go find the spooky place. So they leave towards this spot, and I take the other half of people who decide to come with me back. The problem is we were already way up in, in the mountains somewhere, pitch dark. And we had been walking probably about another half hour. And we started to get tired. And it was like, boy, did we take the wrong route? How do we get back down the hill? Started to get late. I was getting a little nervous because I was the leader. And about that time, a car pulled up. And there were two people in the car. A guy was driving and the lady in the driver's seat. And she pulls up, she rolls down her window and she smiles and she looked really friendly. She goes, hey kids, do you, do you guys want to ride? It's really late and we could get you down the hill really quick. And I know there's a lot of you, but we'll just put you in the back seat and we'll be down. So I go, boy, I, I've never done this before. So I go to the small group of people that I was with and I said, what do you guys think? They want to give us a ride. We're kind of lost. We could get down probably in five minutes as opposed to however long it's going to take us. And everyone said, well, if you think it's okay, let's, let's do it. So I go, they seem, they seem nice enough. So being the leader that I was, I go ahead and get in the car first. And I'm not kidding you. At that moment, the lady, the smiling lady's disposition turned from friendly, nice, 
And she turned around when I got in the back seat and she said, I'm so glad you're joining us because we're going to eat you tonight. I said, oh, that sounds great. No, I, I freaked out. I kicked the chairs and I told everyone else to run. I got out and we scattered all over the place, started to run like mad people. And of course, I'm so scared because my younger sister is part of this group and I'm supposed to be protecting her and we just take off. And the only thing that I saw was in the distance was a light and I realized it was a, it was a farmhouse. So I just start heading towards the light. I jump over this fence and I'm walking towards, and you have to understand, the house is still a little bit in the distance. And I'm walking towards this house when I start hearing growling. I'm going, boy, you know, what's, what's that growling? And I look down. By the way, this is a true story. And there's a Doberman and two German Shepherds, teeth out. So instead of running towards the house, I start running towards a truck and a car that were parked. I jump on top of the car, and I'm sitting there, and the dogs are all jumping up, nap, napping at me. It was terrifying. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm surely going to be eaten tonight. It's, it's, just, it's just crazy. And it felt like forever that I was on the car, but after a while, these dogs were so rabid, the owner, way back at the house, calls them in. They leave. And I knew at that point, I'm not going to go back towards that house because there's rabid dogs. So I need to go further into this little country area. So once the dogs were gone, I jump off and just run more into the country. Jump over another fence, scared out of my mind, wondering where my sister is, just in a panic. And I'm walking through this field. It's dark. And I start hearing some noises. I'm like, boy, that, what, is, what is this? Couldn't see Again, true story. I look up and it's a bull. It's a true story. And there's a bull, and there I am, and I'm, you know, this 18-year-old kid going, oh my goodness. So I start running away from the bull, and I jump over another fence, and to make a long story short, I make it back to the road. And by that time, one of my friends had got his car, and he was driving around looking for me. I got home safe, my sister got home safely. Why I tell you this story is because it seems that our educational world is at the river's edge, which is the name of the movie I saw. There's people out for blood, there's yelping dogs, there's individuals scattering everywhere, whether you're homeschooling or at school, we're being told how we are to educate our children and ourselves. So in this message, we're going to look at the marks of an educated life, helping not only our kids, but you as an adults during these tumultuous times. And so these marks of what an educated Christian life looks like are not just for kids, they're for all God's children. So though we're going to learn about the only place in the Bible where Jesus was a student, we're going to be able to apply these to our lives. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to be focusing in on verse 39 through 51. And as you're turning there, 
This is a familiar story to many of you. It's the story when Jesus was a 12-year-old. He gets separated from his parents, and he essentially goes to school. And me personally, I believe maybe the Lord gave this story for two major reasons. One, to show us that Jesus was truly engaged with his father's business, his heavenly father. But secondly, I think the Lord is giving us a pattern, not only for students, but for all of us as Christian believers. So here's how the story goes. Verse 39. When they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child, that's Jesus, grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I, we have sought you anxiously. And Jesus said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, in favor with man. So we're going to cover three main points in this message. We're going to look at attitude, atmosphere, and then the final aspect, which we're really going to focus on for the, the remainder of our message together, will be the effects of a Christian life. So for the first, the attitude, we look back to Luke 2.40. It says, and the child, that's Jesus, grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. In a sense, when Jesus was coming in to learning about his heavenly father and being in a school environment, if you will, he had a great attitude. His attitude was right. He was strong in spirit. He was seeking understanding, and grace was upon him. And I think all of us could say, if we, in our own hearts, want to learn in a Christ-like manner, we too should have those characteristics. We should be seeking God. We should be living in grace. And we should be sitting among people that will be teaching us seeking wisdom. But it all comes down to the attitude, a yearning for us to want to learn about the things of God. We need to have our head lead in order for our hands and our heart to follow. So our attitude is essential in anything we do. A good attitude could lead to great aptitude. 
So if your attitude is good and you want to learn something, you will become proficient in the thing you're trying to learn. Be it studying the Bible, be it whatever your hobby is or maybe your job, but your attitude can lead to greater aptitude. Put another way, a can-do attitude will lead to a will-do aptitude. I can do this and I will do this. So it goes from knowing to doing. So the question is, what should our mind or attitude be like? And I think one of the great texts on this is Philippians 2.5. Paul, the writer of Philippians, states this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. And that word that Paul uses there for attitude can also be translated as mind. And it's the Greek word phanero, which means to entertain thoughts or have opinions or sentiments, a disposition of your affections. And what Paul is saying is we need to strive to have the attitude like Christ. So the question is, what was Christ's attitude? And of course, we could fill in the blanks with a plethora of things that shaped his attitude. He was a humble servant. He was sacrificial. He was obedient. He was patient. He spoke the truth. And most importantly, he exuded love. So our attitude should be like Christ. And so the first step in our educational process as Christians is to develop an attitude which is consummate with Christ's mind, of following him, of wanting to do what he would have us to do. It says one, one writer writes, our attitude, not only our aptitude, will determine our altitude. So when you are strong in spirit, you're seeking wisdom, and you're living in God's grace, your attitude will help not only deliver aptitude, but you will get the altitude. You will fly, if you will, with the Lord. So attitude is number one. The second point in learning like Christ is what I call the atmosphere. And this is found in Luke 2, 46. And here it reads... Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening and asking them questions. So the atmosphere, the environment that Jesus was in his school was he was sitting among teachers, he was listening, and he was asking questions. So how do we apply this to ours? Well, first of all, we have to sit before the Lord. If we're going to learn as Christians, we have to sit before the Lord. And what does that mean? That means in prayer, of course, we need to hear from him. But we also have to sit before his word and allow him to speak to us through his word. But secondly, we also need to sit with other teachers as Jesus did. And you guys are here. You're sitting with the teacher. Pastor Dave, you sit. Maybe you're a part of... Steve Stucker's men's group, or you're part of the women's ministry. But you need to sit with teachers and learn from those teachers. Because our Christian education isn't just a Sunday morning endeavor, though that's very important. It's a lifelong pursuit. Each of us need to be lifelong learners when it comes to the things of the Lord. So 
Jesus sat among the teachers. And this whole notion of atmosphere reminds me that Jesus asked questions. I think questions are important. Questions Christians have are important. I've met so many people throughout my Christian ministry that said, oh, I was initially turned off by the faith because I would ask a pastor or a Christian questions. First of all, they didn't have the answer. And secondly, they just kind of turned away. That's not how we're supposed to be. We should encourage the questions. Why? Because good questions elicit great answers. When someone gives a great question or asks a great question, that's an open door for us to provide a good biblical answer, particularly in times in which we're living. Why does God allow the COVID crisis? Why does God allow evil? And these are the type of questions that are open doors for us to share our faith, biblically speaking. So this atmosphere that we need to create is one like Jesus. We need to listen, we need to learn, and we need to be asking questions. And then allow God, through his word, answer those questions. We will grow as students of the Lord. So first, our attitude. Secondly, the atmosphere. And then the third and final part that we'll spend the majority of our time on are the effects. What are the results of our Christian life, of Christian learning? Beautiful thing is the Bible gives it to us. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. These are the four pillars of a holistic Christian education. And you may be going, oh, Brian, that's, that's good. That's how we learned as a kid, but come on. What, what about as adult? Interestingly enough, what Jesus learned as a student are the same four areas that he taught as an adult. Same four. Luke 10, Jesus said, love the Lord the God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. They correspond, they parallel to wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. So in educational realms, Christian education or our Christian education life, these are the four pillars of how we're to be growing as Christian men and women. Loving God with our mind or wisdom, with our bodies, with our spirits, and socially. So what I'm going to do is just spend a few moments telling you how we could do this. And by the way, there are many ways you could do this. I'm just going to give you some suggestions in this. So the first one of the effects or marks of these is to increase in wisdom. This is our mental growth. And I think there are two ways we could grow in wisdom. The first is we ask of God. We ask of God. James tells us if we lack wisdom, ask God who will give us it abundantly. And that word that James uses for lack is if it's destitute, if it's something we don't have, if we don't have this word um, wisdom, we need to ask God. And the word ask in Greek means to beg or desire or crave. Lord, I'm missing wisdom in my life. 
I'm asking you. I'm craving it. I'm begging you. So we need to ask God first to give us wisdom. But after we ask, we need to act upon it. We need to act upon it. It's one thing to say, God, give me wisdom. Let me learn about you. And then just forget about it. Leave it at the front door and go on with your business. No, you ask and then you have to act upon that wisdom. So how do you act upon learning about God? Well, Proverbs 4 is a great um, uh, chapter in the Bible that you could uh, use to learn there. But Proverbs 4 basically is telling us to seek understanding. And let me give you a little tidbit here. And you could punch me afterwards if you disagree with me. But God wrote two books. He didn't write one. God wrote two books. He wrote the book of nature or the world. And then he wrote the book of the Bible or influenced the writing of the Bible. And we as Christians are called to study both. We are called to study the things of God's handiwork, if you will. That's what we would call general revelation, God revealing himself through the cosmos and nature. We find many scripture verses over and over and over that tell us how to do that. Paul himself said, you know, we see the glory of God through, through his created world. So we're, we're called to study the book of nature. But of course, we're called to study the book of of Bible as well. And when you put those two together, they're not going to disagree with each other. They are two sides to the same coin, same author, same author who created the universe and the same author who inspired the Bible. So I believe in us acting to get that wisdom, we need to study both. We need to become familiar with both. That doesn't mean you have to be a PhD in physics doesn't mean you have to be uh, an expert, but we should be curious people studying things about God and his world. So I think wisdom is incredibly important for Christians, particularly in this day and age. And by the way, in educational circles, we would call the pursuit of wisdom three major transcendentals. And I know that's a fancy word, but those are values or truths that transcend, you know, certain things. And the pursuit of education historically was for truth, beauty, and goodness. Truth, beauty, and goodness. And I think Christians should involve themselves in all three of those pursuits, both in Scripture and in the world. Finding truth, discovering God's beauty, and doing good in the world. So that's wisdom. The second way that Jesus grew was in stature. Stature. Jesus grew physically. And he tells us as an adult to love God with our bodies. And I think one of the greatest scripture verses on this notion of growing physically is found in 1 Corinthians 16, 6.19, where Paul says the body is a temple of the what? Holy Spirit. Right. So if our body is important enough for the Holy Spirit to come into, we should be taking care of it. So how do we grow physically? I'm going to give you four E's. 
And the two firsties, you already know. You hear from your doctor, you hear from television, you hear from all this, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of times with them. But the first E is what? You eat right. The second E is you exercise. Those are important parts of taking care of your body, you know this. But the third way that you could grow physically is what I call empathy. Empathy. And empathy, there's two types of empathy. There's cognitive, which means your brain, and effective. So cognitive empathy is the ability to identify with others. So I sit down with someone and I spend time listening to them. I hear their heart. I see what's going on in their life. I'm empathizing with them. I'm showing compassion, if you will, in their life. And then the second type of empathy is effective is how you respond to them. So I could sit down and listen to someone and go, boy, that's amazing. But how you respond to someone in that situation is, that is important. And you could get vastly different responses. You could go, oh, that's too bad, so sorry, and then walk away, and then that person's left, oh, what'd you just do to me? I just you know, bore my heart to you. Or you could show them compassion and love. Oh, I understand. I've been there and share with them. Give them a piece of your life. Walk them through that difficult situation they're in. And you're going, well, how does that help me in my physical way? Well, it's interesting to know that John Hopkins University found that empathizing and specifically forgiving or working with people is healthy for you. Here's what they write. Studies have found that the act of forgiveness and empathy can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels and sleep, reducing pain, blood pressure, levels anxiety, depression, and stress. And research points to an increase in empathy connection with age. So it doesn't matter what age you are at. If you're empathizing, if you are forgiving people, if you're showing compassion like Christ has called us, it's good for your health. Interesting, again, what Jesus taught and what we see in nature, two sides of the same coin. Jesus tells us to forgive and show compassion. Why? Not only is it good for the other person, it's also good for you. So you grow not only by eating right and exercising, but empathizing. And then the final E of increasing in stature is that you enjoy your good life. Enjoy what God has given you. Why? Because your outlook will influence your inlook. And it goes back to what we talked about with attitude. You enjoying what God has given you. Doesn't matter if you live in a big hill or a small home. Doesn't matter. Just enjoy. Thank God on a daily basis of what he has given you. And you will be blessed because you're thanking God for what he has given you. So the final. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. So we're going to move now to favor with God. This is the spiritual growth. By the way, there's many things I could say about spiritual growth. I could turn you to Acts 2 and say, oh, spiritual growth is apostles' doctrine, prayer, communion, fellowship, and evangelism. I could easily say that. 
That's good. But I'm taking a slightly different scripture text because I think it gets even to the root of how we find favor with God. And that scripture text is in Isaiah 66, 2. And this is the Lord speaking. Listen to what he says. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. So from this text, I'm going to summarize it with three words. Salvation, submission, and study. So how do we find favor with God? Salvation, submission, and study. Salvation's obvious. In order to find favor in God's sight, you have to become a Christian. You have to turn your life over to him. And if you haven't done it this morning, I'd encourage you to do it. Just do the ABCs of confession. A, accept that you're a sinner. B, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. C, confess that he is Lord and that you need him. It's easy as ABC. But salvation is the first step for all believers. Why? Because you're aligning your will into his will. And if you want to find favor in God's sight, it's about getting in what God's doing rather than saying, hey, Lord, why don't you jump on my boat, man? I got all this under control. Let me, let me tell you what to do, Lord. I mean, I've been, I'm pretty smart, you know. You should follow me. No, that's not what the Lord wants. He wants you to jump in what he's doing, to get in his car, to get in his boat, and let him drive. And that first step is a step of salvation. It's a step of what we would call, or what Jesus calls, being born again. So the first step of favor with God is salvation. The second step is tough, and that's submission. We must submit our will to his will. Jesus tells us to pray, your will be done, Lord. And Isaiah, in this text that I read from Isaiah 66, uses the word contrite. And its meaning means to be smitten, or it carries the idea of being lame before the Lord. And what it is, it's, it's, it's a word of submission, of saying, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I need your help. I need you to lead me. I want to be about your business. I want to be doing things that you want me to do. Maybe some of you are going, Lord, I've been praying about getting involved here at the church. Get involved at the church. Maybe some of you have been praying about getting involved with the women's ministry. Get involved with the women's ministry. Allow the Lord to use you. Submit to what he's telling you to do or the men's ministry with Steve Stucker. Get involved with these ministries and allow the Lord to mold you and fashion you and shape you. That submission will provide beautiful results. The fruits will come from your life. So submission is the second way of finding favor with God. It's a daily dependence on the Lord. And it, it involves devotions of us worshiping the Lord and deeds of acting, but really it's a life of discipleship, learning. We need to submit our weak selves, our wavering selves at times, to the strong arm and hands of the Lord and watch what he will do in and through you. So salvation, submission, and study. 
The third aspect that Isaiah tells us to do is study. Isaiah specifically says, those who tremble at my word. The word that Isaiah uses there for tremble is reverential, to be in awe. When's the last time you were in awe before God or his word? I mean, we, you, know, you do your daily devotions, and you know, yeah, whatever, you put it off to the side, and you go on, you forget about what you read. But the Lord calls us to, be, to stand in awe, to submit to it, to go, boy, Lord, what is it you want to carve out in my life? What impression do you want to give me so I could represent you in a dark world? I don't need to tell you guys. The world around us is dark. And how do we penetrate the dark? You light a candle. And you are the candles in this world. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. And we get the light by studying his word. We seek his principles. We seek his precepts. And we would come to the same conclusion that Jesus himself did. Jesus said, your word is truth. God's word is the spiritual substance that we survive on. So if you want to find favor with God, sure, you need to be saved. You need to submit, but you need to study. And then the final and our concluding point is Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. Socially. So how do we grow socially? What does the Bible tell us that we're to grow socially? Well, luckily for us, Paul lays that out in Romans 12, 8. And I'm not going to read the whole uh, text to you. I'm not going to unpack all aspects of it. But to say the least, it's one of the most profound scripture verses on how believers are to be living in the world at large. But let me give you some reminders from this text. So if we want social growth, we need to love people sincerely. Are you loving your neighbors sincerely? Or do you, oh God, not them again. Hate that person. That's not a Christ-like heart. We're called to love sincerely. Even if the person bothers you, believe me, I have people around me that bother me. I actually just got a phone call this weekend of someone who just showed up by my truck and waiting there. And it's like, oh, no, here we go. But I was called to minister to him. It's like, Lord, you, you opened this up. Love sincerely. The mark of the Christian in our day and age, I believe in our current age, is not how smart we are, even providing all these great answers, or how apparent holy we are. I believe the mark of the Christian, not only of this age, but of all ages, is that we're loving we're sincerely loving, not just our family, but our neighbor and our community. The mark of love will go a long way. And that's what Paul in Romans 12 is telling us to do. And then he also tells us to detest evil. To detest evil. Christian, there's a lot of evil around us. We know that. But we're called to detest that. Not flirt with it. Not give in to it. But to detest it. To Call it out, know what it is, and just leave it. And there's a lot of evil in the world. Paul goes on to stick to kindness. 
I don't know about you, but when someone is kind to me, it goes a long way. You're standing in a grocery store line, and someone goes, hey, go ahead, go in front of me. And you're like, really? Are you, sh- you, know, are you, are you sure? And they go, yeah, 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 just go. You know, I, you know, I just have a bunch of stuff, and you have a couple things. A little act of kindness goes a long way. And Christians, we're called on multiple times to be kind. Because, again, you're representing the Lord. Particularly if you have that Jesus sticker on the back of your truck. Sorry, I have a truck. Or car. And, you know, you get out and someone notices that and they follow you in. And then you're the rudest person in the restaurant or the rudest person in the business. What kind of witness is that? But we're to be kind, Paul says. Paul also tells us that we're to be patient. I don't know about you, but that's one area that I lack severely. I'm always saying, Lord... Develop in me patience. We're to be compassionate and hospitable. Again, another thing that's kind of lost in our world. Hospitable. Hey, why don't you come on over to my house? Why don't you, I'm going to bring you some dinner. I know you've had a tough week. Let, Let me bring you some dinner. And I know we're all busy and it's tough. But boy, what a blessing it is for your neighborhood, for your neighbors, when you are hospitable, when you're representing Christ in your community, there will be great things that come from it. Paul goes on to say that we're to rejoice with others. You know, rather than being jealous, oh, you know, Smiths, they got a new car. (laughs) Jerks, I wanted that car, you know. You're grumbling. No, rejoice with them. Hey, got a new car, that's cool. Glad you did. That's awesome. Rejoice with people when great things, and sorrow with people when sad things happen. Drop them an email. Give them a card. Let them know that they're loved in times of sorrow. And then the last two, three things that Paul gives is, calls us to be humble, to live peaceably, and do good. If you want the strategies for our age in which we're currently living, what we would call the COVID era, man, those three are it. Humble, because you're getting so much information. One person's telling you this, literally the next moment someone's telling you this. We just have to have a humble attitude and go, Lord, we're going to probably get to the truth sooner or later, but I'm going to listen to you first and foremost. I'm going to open up your word, and what does it tell me to do? And it's telling you to be humble but then to live peaceably with all people is what Paul says, peaceably. It's really easy in our day and age to get on some bandwagon and point fingers and slosh words and say bad things, but the Bible calls us to be peaceful. You know, it doesn't mean you have to agree with someone, everything someone says, but you go, huh, I, I have a little different perspective, but you know, bless you. I, I, I may not agree with you, but I, I, I hope things turn out fine for you to live peaceably because it will go a long way. And then finally, to do good. Wouldn't it be crazy? And maybe I'm overstepping my boundaries here. But, you know, there's a sign on a window where someone's doing something that you disagree with and you, you take it as something that you purposely go do good to this person that is bothering you. It'd be like, whoa, what are you doing? Hey, I just wanted to t- pull your trash cans up. Hope, hope you have a great day. 
And they're going, well, isn't that the guy that believes this, this, and this? But doing good in a world where goodness is so lacking is profound. Is profound. So, what are the marks of a Christian life? How do we learn like Jesus? We grow in wisdom. And we ask God of that wisdom. And then we act upon what we're learning. We grow in wisdom. We grow in stature. We grow physically. We take care of ourselves. We show empathy. And we enjoy life. How do we grow spiritually? As I suggested with the Isaiah passage, salvation, we submit to God's will, and then we study his word. And then how do we grow socially with other people? Paul gives us a list. But even if you just work on those last three, humble, peaceably, and good, man, imagine what your community, your neighborhood, your workplace would be like. It's amazing. According to Educational Weekly, which is an education magazine, New Mexico ranks last in the nation for the quality of education. But here, starting today, God's people in New Mexico don't need to be last. We don't need to be lost in this crazy world of educational standards. Do we have school? Do we not have school? Are they online? Why? Because we have a higher standard that we're learning from. And that standard is Jesus Christ. And he has given us his example. Not only as a student, he grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. But he tells us to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. These four pillars. So as Luke 10, 27, Jesus reminds us, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and, would, and love your neighbor as yourselves. So with these four truths, we learn the marks of a Christian educated life. When we grow mentally, physically, spiritually, and socially as Jesus. And allow Jesus to be represented us. And you won't have to be lost like I was in the hills of Santa Fe, being chased by spooky people, being chased by dogs and later a bull, because you'll be found in the hands of your loving Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity. We pray, Lord, that as these truths sink into our lives, they would begin to transform our thinking, our processing, how we look at education, but how we look at our Christian life. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we ask that you would just be glorified in and through us, and that you, Lord, would use this as an opportunity to encourage, to correct, and to strengthen. We commit this time into your hands and ask that you would be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, 
nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.